We're going to look this morning together at Psalm 8, and it's printed in your bulletin on page 6. But before we read it, um, I want to ask you a question. Uh, Have you ever felt that your work is futile? Have you ever felt that the things kind of that you do day in and day out mean little or are oftentimes a waste of time? And it's interesting in the last year and a half in a pandemic, um, and now look, everybody can make stats mean anything, but they're not meaning less. Read an article that in the last year, somewhere between 30 to 48% of kids in the world between the ages of 11 and 17 in this pandemic have considered self-harm or suicide because they're lost out of their rhythms and out of their work and out of their lives. You ever feel like your work um, may not mean anything? Or to ask a different question is, what's the value of a person? What's your value? And Psalm 8 is in the Bible as part of the worship of God as a form of catechesis. Psalm 8 is this part of the worship of God. The people of God would sing this psalm together to ask a question and rehearse it corporately standing shoulder to shoulder and side by side as they sing this song together in worship to teach them something. And it's to teach them one big thing. And that is this, that the majesty and glory of God is everywhere displayed throughout the earth by you being there. The majesty and the glory of God is displayed throughout the entire earth, everywhere and in all times, by the fact that you exist. Now let me read this and get into this with you. This is the word of the Lord. It's his good and kind word to you and I this morning. It says, to the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a psalm of David, O Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, Crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And God's people said, Amen. Yeah. Let me pray, ask the Lord to bless his word in our time. Lord, would you teach us to measure both the length of our days, but see your glory and majesty 
and take comfort in us as your creation that brings you glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I have done my best this summer not to talk about sailing as much as I can. You know how much I love sailing, but here we are. So um, I daydream about sailboats. It's what I do. I don't know what you daydream about when life is kind of boring you. I daydream about sailboats. There is a sailboat maker by the name of Perini Navi. He's from Italy. He is the best sailboat maker, luxury sailboat maker, in the world. Uh, they, have, they have two shipyards. They're on the Italian coast. He makes the most glorious boat you've ever seen. And I remember the first time I saw a Perini Navi. It was in Georgetown, South Carolina, as a matter of fact. I was driving to see my mother. I stopped. I came around the corner just to take a break and get out of my car. And when I can ever, I can find a boat yard or a dock, I'll go down and walk. And I turned the corner on this mooring, and I saw this 140, 150-foot navy blue sailboat with these distinct lines. And Perini Navis have top decking that you always know it's his boat. It's this thin, light-colored wood in thin strips that go from the bow to the stern. You know it when you see it. It is absolutely amazing. And these are the two thoughts whenever you see a Perini Navi. Oh, my stars, that is gorgeous. And I know who made it. And the point of Psalm 8 is that as you see human beings and the people of God needed to hear this, there are two things that come to mind. Oh my word, that is magnificent. And I know the majestic God who made those people. Now look, let me take you through the psalm just quickly and get you into this. This is the thought about who people are. They are magnificent and they display the majesty and the glory of God everywhere and in all times. I want you to think, as you see yourself and as you see other people, this is what the people of God practice. It's like seeing a Perini Navi. Oh, my stars, that is amazing. And I know the majestic maker who made it. Every time you see it. It's a covenantal psalm, right? It's the language. Oh, Lord, our Lord. It's the language of worship at the beginning and the end. He bookends it. You and I display the majesty and the glory of God by who we are and by how we're made. And he comes into this thing and says, Lord, you have set your glory above the heavens. And then you get to verse 2, and I'm going to make one statement about it. it is a, it's a hard verse. But I think the point of verse 2 is to try to say that the majesty and the glory of God is even displayed by the most weak and small of babies and infants. And the language of dis establishing strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger, I think has this idea of as the enemies of God are there in the land with David and his people, even the babies, even the weakest display God's glory because of how they speak. But he says, now here is where he gets into it, and I love it. He says, when I look, in verse 3, when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you've set in place, then he asks the question, but y'all have been in this place. 
My favorite anchorage in the British Virgin Islands when I sail is this place called the North End. It's on the north end of Virgin Corda. It's called the Bitter End in the North Sound. It was the last stop on trade ships and sugar ships to across the Atlantic Ocean. And after the hurricane two years ago, we anchored up there, and there was not a light in the harbor. We were the only boat. We sat on the front of that boat at 10 o'clock at the night and laid back on a clear. And you could see the Milky Way as bright as day. Billions and billions and billions of stars and galaxies. And David has been out in the desert and looked up and said, Lord, when I look up and I see the majestic glory of the universe, of the cosmos, of the stars, when I see that kind of expanse, an amazing thing, he asked the question. Now listen, this is not tone matters. The question is not what is pitiful. It, it's not derisive. It's a real question. I have looked up and seen the glory of the heavens, David says. And this question comes to mind. What's man? What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? God, when I see all this glory that you've created, what are we? What are we that you have? It's a great question, an honest question. What are we that you care? There are other sermons on whether or not care, God cares about us, but this is a setup, right? It's a setup by the psalmist. It's a setup by David. Lord, what are we? I've seen your handiwork. And he goes and he says this. In verse 5. This is the answer to the question. What are you? David says, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. And you have crowned him what? With glory and honor. And if you look in verse 2. Sorry. Yeah. Verse 1. He says about man what he says about himself. In part, he says, you have set your glory, O God, above the heavens. What is man? You have made him a little lower than heavenly beings, and you have crowned man with glory and with honor. What is man that you are mindful of him? And then what he does in verse 6 through 8 is he hearkens the people of God back to the very beginning of Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, where the creation story picks up on how God created. Who is the pinnacle of creation? Man is. Who is made in the image and the glory of God? Man is. Who is like man? What creature is like a human being? None other. Who has been placed with the honor and the glory that is like no other being? Not another creature. What is man that you're mindful of him? The Lord God has set his glory upon him. And then he takes you into this beautiful place and says, he's given you dominion. And he rehearses kind of Genesis 1 and 2 again. 
and puts all of that kind of into it, that you have kind of made him lower than the heavenly beings, but you've given dominion over the works of your hands and put all things under his feet. And then he goes, all the sheep and the oxen and the beasts and the birds. And he pulls up all that Genesis language so that the people of God, as they go through their days and as they go through their works, would be reminded of what are you? What is the value of man? You have been given this creative, crazy, beautiful ability to have dominion made in his image that reflects the glory of no other. You're cut of the same cloth of God himself. A little lower than the heavenly beings, right? Those beings that if you saw them, you would bow down and worship in fear. You are given that kind of glory. What is your value? So look, how does this apply? What's the big deal? As you go about your labor and in your work, what is man that you're mindful of him? You display the dignity and glory of God like no other being. As you take on the leadership responsibility of trying to turn your law firm's management company into a different direction, you display the glory of God. As you create an algorithm or a spreadsheet or whatever it is that you do in your nine to five, you display the very glory and image of God and have dominion. As you do calculus or pre-calculus or whatever it is that you have to do that at times feels like busy work, you display the very glory in the image of God. As you pull the fifth load of laundry from the washer or the dryer, you display the very image in the glory of God. As you do the dishes, as you make the bed, as you clean the toilet, you display the very glory of the image of God himself, a little lower in glory than the heavenly beings. When that six-year-old boy or girl wrestles their mom or dad in the carpet this afternoon, they are acting in diminutively beautiful ways that display the glory of the very image of God. When you create art, when you write stories, what is man? You display the glory of the image of God. My kids laugh at me. When Marshall, this kid on TikTok, I don't even know if anybody watches him anymore. He is my favorite dude. When Marshall, in all his funny, late teen young man, makes fun of suburban families and parents in his crazy, astute way, he displays the glory of the image of God. When we adopt and foster children and have kids, and teach Sunday school, and recreate spiritually, formatively, right, the image of God and the people by God's grace, what is man? It's asking this question. And I have to stop and just for a, for a moment apply this. My kids have heard this a thousand times, so hear it one more, okay? In the current moment, where identity is actually something that in our cultural Western place is something that you have to create yourself. You have to define your identity and your worth. Now look, I'm not being sarcastic or mean, but historically, 
years and years ago, identity was formed by the cultural place you came from in a sociological way, right? By your town or your community, your family or the farming place you came from. In the West, in the last 50 to 100 years, identity has been formed a different way. You have been told that you are what you make of yourself. Your identity and your worth is only as valuable as what you've created today. That's why we're anxious. That's why we're so driven by our bodies. That's why we're so driven by what other people think. And I, I do think this. This psalm says something of a respite to us in our soul. There is a place in which I think God, out of his kindness, looks and says, I want to whisper a different story and a better story. That your worth and your dignity is not in something that you have to create and maintain and curate every day and wake up and do it again and again and again. It's more firmly rooted. Now look, to some of you, you're getting older. And you don't have the energy that you used to have, right? And maybe there are some of you here who have been working in a job for a long time and like my brother who worked for a medical supply company for 27 years, when they recognized that they could hire someone 24 and pay half as much, and get just the same response, they cut them loose. And he is wandering in his late 50s, wondering, what is my worth? And that's a fair question. Everywhere you look, it speaks to the majesty of God. I'll, I'll do one more. I have this sweet friend from college who had a younger brother. Their parents had a younger brother late in life. The younger brother was Down syndrome child. What's the dignity and worth of Lizzie's younger brother? As he brings affection that is so unworried about self to his family, what is the value of that? There's no way to sit here and hear this psalm and hear this hymn about the greatness of God and the majesty of God being displayed, right? And the goodness and the glory of creation without having some questions raised. Right? I mean, you can't sit here and listen to that without saying, but hold on. What is man? What is our work and what is our labor? You know the thing that makes me wonder the most about this? Extension cords and bamboo in my backyard. Because I cut, I cut bamboo and I make my 14-year-old sweat and cut bamboo and I turn around three months later and it is back twice as thick as when I left it. And I can't put an extension cord away without pulling it out as as. And if you want to come up to me afterwards and give me the technique that makes this great, I'm all for it. I have turned it the right way, unwound it, flipped it the right way. It always gets tangled. But if you're more astute, there are other things that make you wonder, what is the value of man? 
Because the same people that have been given, right, this mandate by God to flourish and to create and to have dominion and to do good are the same doctors who abuse girls on gymnastics teams over decades. And it's people who use their powers of good for amazingly heinous reasons. We have created weird ways to wage war and create weapons that do harm. The same folks, right, who are the, the same image of God is actually used to create dark webs. Companies that hold your computers hostage. And, but that's far from home, right? And we know how it plays out, don't we? We ourselves who have been given this diminutive call to do good, we're the same people who rather than use our words to build up and to frame, use our words to tear down and to break. What's man that you're mindful of? And and if we're honest, our own kind of labor and our own kind of work is the stuff that makes us, right? Like, and it's true of all of us. As grandparents, we both love our children, but we find ourselves actually not wanting to care for them. As we deal with aging parents, there are moments where we think that is a joy and a service to the Lord, and moments where we resent it and are unkind. As parents of teenage children, Right, Paige and I at moments use our words and our diminutive power for great good and we use them to shame. And my kids who are 14 to 20 use their words and their creative power for great good and great harm. What is man that you are mindful of? And it is why the psalm obviously points to the goodness of who Jesus is. Because the question raises out, What is man that you are mindful of him is spoken in the Genesis 2 glorious picture, but it is also spoken to in the fall reality of what God intended. What is man in all his glory that God is mindful of him? But what is man in his current state that the Lord is mindful of him? Hebrews 2 says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we're speaking What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Right? It quotes that psalm and it says, Now in putting everything in subjective to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present we don't see everything in subjection to him, but we will. Why? What is man that God is mindful of him? For God so loved the world and so loved man in his fallen state, that he sent his only beloved son to come into the world, that he might not condemn the world, but save the world. When you and I listen to the confession of faith, and we ask the question, what is sanctification? We hear the answer to the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? 
Sanctification is a work of the grace of God. It's a work of the love and grace of God on high. To send Jesus into the world that he might restore humankind to his glory. Renew man after the image of God in the whole man, right? That he might die to sin and live to righteousness. Why? Because the question is answered. What is man that you are mindful of? God's beloved treasure, the pearl of great price that the Lord was seeking to restore him to his former glory that he might display the majesty and glory of God. It's funny, there is not a command in this psalm. That is, that is a beauty. It is this good question that we are asking all the time. What is your worth? Where is your dignity found? You are made in the very image and glory of God. And God, out of his kindness, has sent Christ to restore that dignity and that goodness and that glory. And I, what do we do? We have to practice this. That's why it's a psalm. I've got a friend by the name of Russ Whitfield who was an actor before he became a minister. And he said uh, that he was working with this group and they were doing the kind of pre-work before the show opened and the director stood up kind of when they were missing it and said this. He said, you've got to get into the script so that the script gets into you. You have to get into the script so that the script gets into you. The reason why this psalm is here as part of our worship is so that you and I will come back to this and rehearse when we wonder, what are we? What is our value and what is our dignity? Um, it's part of the beauty, I think, of why we kind of do this in worship. This is the self-taught piece of this. In Let Me Land It, it brings glory to God. Right, how does this psalm begin and end? Like, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth because your name and the majesty of you is displayed everywhere and in all times. How? When his people display their diminutive purpose through the redemptive work of Jesus. And this is what I want you to say. Like, here's the thing. When you go by another being, you know, person, and when you look at yourself in the mirror and you ask this question, I want you to kind of say, as I came around that boat and saw that thing, right? There are two things that should come to mind. Not in vain when I say this. My Lord. That is amazing. And I know the majestic maker of the universe. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for making us with such care and dignity and bestowing glory upon us. Would we as your people 
rest in that value and goodness? Would it give us great joy and delight? Would you help us, O Lord, to see our work and our labor? And would it reflect your glory and your majesty all our days, even into eternity, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.